Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community, as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are their stories. David Ferguson is a significant educator of boys. He's the headmaster of Westlake Boys High School on the North Shore of Auckland. He is the president of the Association of Boys Schools New Zealand, and he's a trustee of the International Boys School Coalition. He's also the most polite person that I know and a mad cricket nut as well, all of which bodes well for a conversation. I can't wait for us to have a talk with him about all things to do with education, boys, New Zealand. Let's go. Phil, it's great to be with you again uh, today, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation with David. How is the, uh, the weather there in uh, beautiful Fitzroy, Melbourne? Look, it's a little overcast today, uh, and you know the, the little quinoa plants have got their little jackets on to keep them nice and warm. How are you going after the spectacular uh, efforts of the Carlton Blues over the weekend, Adriano? Well, uh, it's unfortunate that it is overcast because I think I've woken up with the blues uh, today because uh, I'm, I'm in perennial uh, despair being a suffering Carlton football fan. But I'm, I'm wrapped that the AFL is back and uh, it's great to, to finally see some sport back on, on, uh, on the TV. But anyway, let's move over the pond to our, our wonderful friend there, David Ferguson in New Zealand. David, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, thank you for being present on our Game Changers Series 3, which we're really excited to have you on. I want to launch straight into it, Dave. And my first question to you is, tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, uh, and how did you get to where you are today? Thanks, Adriano. And hi, Phil, as well. Nice to talk to you. Right. So I've been teaching for 27 years now. Oh, that's frightening. Um, I grew up in the north of England, very different to where I am now. But um, the school I went to was very different to the school that I'm fortunate enough to be in charge of at the moment but it was formative and certainly helped shape who I am and, and I'm very grateful for that uh, that upbringing. It was a fairly unimaginative career choice. My father was a significant educator, his father was a principal headmaster, my other grandfather was chairman of the board of trustees at the school that I went to so it didn't take a genius to work out what I was going to do but no real plan to be involved in boys' education. It kind of just happened by chance. I happened to meet a, a particularly charismatic school leader, um, having gone to look around a school at university more as an experience than anything else. And um, within 24 hours of leaving that office, he'd, he'd offered me a job. So it worked out pretty well. I did 10 years at a boys' school in the UK and then headed over here to New Zealand 17 years ago and um, have spent the entirety of that 17 years here at Westlake Boys High School. Again, kind of happened by chance, but uh, very, very happy here and very, very grateful to be part of the Boys Schools Network here in New Zealand. I just uh, noticed, uh, Dave, that um, the New Zealand government has announced a $4 million, $4 million towards boosting uh, creative learning programs and the hiring of an additional 300 teachers in education there in New Zealand. Clearly, that's a, it's an attempt to uh, focus on the creative arts 
So maybe now you can afford me to come over as a teacher. <laughs> so it doesn't go very far, $300 million though, does it, across a whole country? It's, yeah, no. Uh, I heard the minister being interviewed of it on it, and he was the minister of education. He was talking about film, dance, design. So no, it's great. It's good for that to get a boost, and I don't know how much of it will make its way into into schools. But sure. yeah, good news. Good news. Always good to invest in education and different parts of the curriculum. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, your school and, and particularly Auckland. And, and it's really clear to all of us now that it's become a, a serious world city, considering it, the demographic. Uh, and, and it's diverse population. We're, about 50% of its population now is, has been born overseas, which is, is quite remarkable for this tiny little country uh, uh, and city on one side of the world, so far from everywhere. Can, can you share with our listeners a bit of a brief history of the culture of Westlake Boys High School and how it supports those families of Auckland and that, and that kind of cultural diversity that is, that is uh, unique now to Auckland City? I mean, back to where you started them with more than 50% of the population of the city predicted to come from overseas that's been gradually obviously changing over the years as a school we've had for a number of years now most of our boys were born overseas I think given the state of the world at the moment most of those families can probably claim to be enlightened and uh, pretty prophetic with their thinking around the world but yeah it makes the school and the city an interesting place Um, our school is now currently 58 years old we separated from the girls school we were Westlake High School originally, the two schools, and they decided after three years, I think, that the two schools should separate. So after five years, the boys' school was formed. If you look at the photographs from 1962 when we started, it looks a lot different to how it does now. I mean, as will be the case for most schools in, in big cities. We were built for 1,000. There's now 2,400. We have people from absolutely all over the world. About 40% of our boys families are from Asia. Less than 50% are New Zealand European. We've got a a fairly steady Maori and Pacific community, which is a a special subsection of the the school. It's not, I don't think, going to become any less diverse anytime soon. And I think it's a great preparation for life, irrespective of where our boys end up. They're going to end up in a multicultural community if they're in a city. And so us being a microcosm of Auckland society is great preparation for them, I think. I'm interested in your thoughts on why diversity is important for a boy's education. What role does it play? That's inter- I wrote something about this in my newsletter last Friday, actually, with what's going on around the world as well. It's a, a natural topic for discussion. Um, I, and not just around race and ethnicity as well. Diversity generally is a, a good thing. I think the, the generation coming through school and have just left school at the moment are very accepting of diversity. And I think a lot of previous generations could learn a lot from them. I think our boys do a a terrific job of navigating a complex local and global landscape. Uh, Things have changed a lot in the last 10 years. That's how long I've sat in this chair and done this job. And we've come a long way as a school. And I think boys' schools as well have come a long way in the last 10 years. Boys' education has a really important place in New Zealand education. Why are boys' schools so important to New Zealand? Um, It's, for whatever reason, well, I suspect it coincides with the history, obviously with the history of our country and that being something that education globally was a a thing um, as we largely adopted the the British education system. But we have the highest percentage of state boys' schools in the world. Most small towns will have a boys' school. And what that's led to, I think, is we've ended up with a pretty collaborative, collegial, 
landscape of uh, boys' schools across the country. The Association of Boys' Schools of New Zealand, you mentioned it in, in your introduction, um, is a very close-knit group, a strong organisation where we do our best to share best practice and work together, and we're far more collaborative than we are competitive as a group, as long as it doesn't involve sport. <laughs> Tell me, um, within boys' schools more generally, there is, and, and because they're boys' state schools, a lot of those schools, there's a real mix socio economically within the yeah. schools and, and as, as you know I've been I've been working with you and other boys schools in New Zealand for, for quite a few years now so I've, I've come to know them um, a whole a whole lot better how do these schools work to achieve equity for boys through their learning you touched on it again at the start of that question I mean nearly all our boys schools are state boys schools we've got just talking about my own school and it's the same for many others as well we've got, I mean we've got families who are incredibly affluent and, and could choose to privately educate their sons if they wished. And at the same time, we've got families where um, it is a stretch for them to resource everything that they want their sons to be able to do when they're here at school. So we've got the full mix. And I think having us all together in one school means we can do what we can to make sure our boys who can't necessarily afford all the opportunities that we can support them with that. We've got a very active old boys association here at school and one of their biggest strategic priorities is to help fund opportunities for boys who couldn't afford it otherwise. We've got as a national priority uh, the achievement of Maori and Pacific students. That's something that we are, uh, the government inspectorate will spend a lot of time looking at when they come into school. That's a national priority and we need to be seen to be doing more work for our Maori and Pacific boys to make sure that they are achieving while they're at school and got access to university entrance and all of the things that we value for, for all of our boys. So yeah, we have high expectations of those students as we do all of them. And because of, not just because of legislation, I think it's a good thing. We are required and motivated to do the best we can for our Maori and Pacific boys. So, so again, David, it's, it's, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of watching that particular program in play in some detail. For our listeners in Australia and around the world, who might not be aware of what, what the specific types of things that occur in that sort of program. I think it might be interesting if you just took a, a minute or two just to explain the sorts of things that you do, because that's an example in my mind of a really successful program that deals with at a grassroots and very practical level, exactly some of the sorts of issues that our world is struggling with right now. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's far more than just, teaching the boys how to speak the language. I mean, the language is alive and well. We've got two full-time teachers of Te Reo Māori, which is the language of um, our indigenous population, uh, Māori population. But Tikanga Māori is far more than Te Reo Māori. Tikanga Māori is, is about the culture and, and, and the expectations and behaviours around how people are treated and the traditions that go with Māori culture. And, and that's a big part of the school as well. So from a ceremonial perspective when our 500 year nine boys start the school every year we have what's called a pofri which is a, a formal welcome to the school it, it, most of that is conducted in Tereo Māori and so from day one that's shown to them to be an important part of the school as well as teaching the language we also teach Māori performing arts um, that's something that we've only done for the last three years and is becoming a, a bigger part of the school um, we have our boys competing in, in Maori sports, competing in haka. We've started a partnership last year 
whereby we have a hostel within our school community for Māori boys from outside of the area. So there's more and more happening year on year. Next year, with a with first school in this part of the city, so north of the bridge, to host the, um, the northern region, it's a, it's a Kapahaka festival, essentially. Normally, it's held in different parts of the country. Historically, it would never have been held in this area, but it's with some pride that we, we've managed to be selected to host that next year. So all of that helps make sure that biculturalism continues to be a, a priority here at school. So we talk about operating biculturally in a multicultural environment. Thank you very much, David. Uh, I'm interested now in shifting the conversation a little bit towards Westlake Boys High's significant commitment to educating the strong character of, of the young men in your care and, and aligning it to the key competencies of the New Zealand curriculum, things around thinking, using language, symbols and texts, you know, managing self, relating to others and participating, contributing. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the journey that the school community has taken over recent years to build and embed a very distinct approach to the education of good character. Sure. I mean, it, it's, we, we did some work with Phil and Circle a few years ago on our strategic direction. And then what followed was a deliberate and significant piece of work focusing specifically on character. It's been a different way of doing things. We haven't, rather than sitting around and deciding what character means and what our boys, who and what they should be, Instead, we went and talked to the current students, parents, former students, the board, staff, and came up with a, a graduate profile for our boys. That was a really positive, collaborative process that I think helped us come up with something that meant more people bought into it and believed in it. And so now it's something we talk about a lot. We talk about it in assemblies, our prospectus and documentation. There's a lot there about character in that. We've got a graduate profile that You'll see all over the school, if you were to visit the school, our staff and our leaders have expectations of them in terms of them behaving in a, a way that aligns with the expectations of, that we have of the boys as far as character is concerned. And we're not there yet. We've still got a way to go. I think it's going to be another probably two or three years before we complete all of that work. But it's something we're proud of. It's something the boys hear about and understand. And we had our first full school assembly on Friday since March the 2nd um, because of what's happened globally and as well as talking about the COVID-19 situation and what we've learned and, and touching on the Black Lives Matter campaign and, and, and racism and so on. And there were natural topics. The assembly finished with acknowledging two 13-year-olds who had found an elderly lady wandering the streets last week and clearly confused and she didn't speak English, she was Chinese and the boys managed to escort her into our school where she was safe uh, we had managed to track down where she came from. And, and that was the end of the assembly on Friday. We had lots to celebrate. We had a great 60-piece orchestra playing. And that is something that we talk about most weeks uh, in terms of recognised good behaviour and, and, and good character. So it's something I'd imagine for the next, certainly while, as long as I'm sat in this chair, it's something that we'll continue to talk about to our community, to our parents, to our prospective students and to all of our new staff as and when they come to the school. So we're pretty proud of it, yeah, made some good progress. So I want to extend the, the, the conversation here around good character, around the work that boys' schools have in both co-creating and promoting a more contemporary model of kind of masculinity, as well as addressing some of the challenges that are, are being posed to, towards men, their relationships with women, 
domestic violence issues, sexual citizenship and the status of women more generally. Can you talk a little bit about specifically uh, Westlake's commitment to this particular space and what you are doing in this space to bridge this gap, particularly around uh, gender equality? When I was talking earlier about the history of the school, another significant thing and a positive thing in terms of what you'd see walking around the school and the history of the school and the photographs is how the staff's changed. Sure, we're far more multicultural, but half of our teaching staff are female, half of them are male, and that's, that's a lot different to what the school looked like even 20 years ago. And I suspect that's consistent with what's going on in many other boys' schools around the world, but that's, that's significant. That's been a big difference, I think. I'm very conscious at this moment in time, being in charge of a, let's call it a male organization in that the majority of our members, that being the boys, are male, that I don't want us to come across as being a jock type culture and an old school boys club where we, we turn a blind eye to sexist comments and degrading statements and because that's not the world that we live in now and it's not the world that the boys are going to go into and we owe it to them while they're here to support them with that. Uh, Toxic masculinity has been spoken about for a number of years now and if you're running a boys school at the moment um, I think we all need to have a position on how we talk to the boys about what it means to be a man. I've been, it's interesting, I've been invited in to talk to a class of 15 year olds in three weeks time specifically about that about what masculinity means to me and I mean I, I talk about it a lot to the boys but I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging down a little bit myself and reflecting on who I've become I'm, I'm, I'm nearly 50 and I've obviously changed a lot over the years and and probably changed a lot about how I think about masculinity generally I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to the boys about that the fact that I'm a daily yoga practitioner and I'm a vegetarian <laughs> for some young New Zealand men that that, that they raise and raise an eyebrow to that and it's interesting the response it evokes occasionally but uh, I mean uh, yeah we I mean we, we we deliberately run a campaign every year around domestic violence it's something we do a fundraiser on we do an assembly or two on it as well it's part of the curriculum for the boys and it's unfortunately something that gets, not unfor- yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it is something that is an issue within New Zealand. I don't think it's unique to New Zealand, but therefore I think we owe it to the boys to talk about it. But schools are different for the better. I think boys are different for the better as well. And part of that, I think, is because we are willing to talk about some of those difficult issues that are part and parcel of their world nowadays. Yeah. What role then does a, a female prime minister play in helping shape a culture that embraces contemporary models of masculinity and where we see men and women working alongside one another to eradicate the injustices and the imbalance that we've seen in the past. I mean, irrespective of your politics, she's she's an extraordinary communicator who's managed to, as far as the rest of the world looks, pull a, pull a nation together through a pretty testing and traumatic period of time and uh, has come out of it glowing, and which I don't think leaders across the world can all necessarily say that at the moment. So yes, yeah, for the for a teenage boy now growing up, it's different having a young woman in her 30s leaving the country and and being held in such high regard around the world. And I think it can only be a positive thing for the boys to see that. There's obvious countries you can compare it to, but there's certainly a number of significant men around the world who who lead their countries in different ways. 
and use different language and behave in different ways. And I think it's good for them to have a comparison. Not all of them will be brought up in homes that necessarily agree with the politics of the current prime minister, but I think you'd be uh, pretty mean-spirited not to <laughs> admire the way she's handled the last few months anyway. David, I think there's a really interesting blend within New Zealand culture. On, on the one hand, sometimes you go there and you feel like you're, you're in a, a former age because there is a, a civility and an emphasis on manners and on decency and there is a pace which evokes tr- really strong, conservative, positive tradition. Yet there's also within New Zealand society a really entrepreneurial, out there kind of spirit, a, a very contemporary, forward-looking uh, kind of spirit. So th- there's that balance between innovation and tradition. And I think, you know, when I look at Westside Boys High, it's almost like a microcosm of New Zealand in that respect. You've got a strong commitment to innovation within what is a fairly traditional New Zealand state school structure and setup. So what does this balancing of innovation and tradition look like at your school? And how are you working towards maintaining this evolving approach to educating boys with the best of tradition and the best of innovation? I think our, the greatest advantage that we enjoy is, I'll just talk about my own school specifically, is that we have autonomy. And even though we're a government school and we get most of our funding from the government, we're, we're still able to raise funds that enable us to do things that ordinarily we wouldn't be able to do. And we're largely able to do that without interference, which means we can be innovative. And because we are a, we're a school that's in high demand, we're fortunate that we're pretty heavily oversubscribed. And at the same time, we've got a history of boys leaving here, having done exceptionally well academically and having had lots of positive experiences. We can build on those things. And, and I think it's important that we stay contemporary and relevant and are across best practice. And probably it's because I've been doing this for a while now that I'm, I'm able to um, not take risks, but just try and do things differently. So we've done quite a bit of work recently with putting on professional development for schools across the city rather than just for ourselves. We've got an event coming up that you two have kindly agreed to be part of that we're really looking forward to, where we're going to just talk a little bit about what we've just been through and what does it mean for the future. And we've already got, I think we put those registrations out last week. We've got 20 or 25 people signed up already. I suspect there'll be two or three times that amount before we do it, but we're not doing that to be position ourselves as experts, but what we're doing is saying, well, wouldn't it be better if we can put these people in front of lots of educators across New Zealand? And you're an example of an organization that we do do some work with. And to me, it just makes sense because you've got some, really interesting stuff to talk about because of the work that you're doing at the moment it's good for new zealand if we can get you in front of, of more educators but we're, yeah for next year we're, we're keen to get a business school started we've got a group of schools here in auckland who are talking to one of our universities about changing the way we do teacher training next year and into the future whereby it'll be a, a more clinical based approach so we're pretty excited about that as well and we're always looking to improve the the curriculum, the things we teach now are are way different to what they were 10 years ago. And and I think it's a far more relevant and interesting curriculum for our boys. Yeah. David, it's, it's, it's really interesting sitting here listening to you speak today because it's really clear to me that as you share the story of Westlake, I'm hearing it is a learning community that continues to evolve, but it's a learning community that doesn't stand still. And and it has a very strong capacity to reflect upon uh, its richness, of its past, its current circumstance, 
but with a clear view for tomorrow. And that part of that construct is exactly what you've just been sharing there, is looking a little bit more outward instead of inward and involving you know, more in, in this kind of quest that education for all goes beyond the gates of the, the boundaries or the campus walls or, or the fence line of, of the Westlake Boys High. Why is this important to you personally? Why is education, and particularly boys' education, so important to you? Well, I, as I said at the start, I, I fell into it really, and, and it's just—I mean, I, but I, I guess I spent most most of my upbringing in or around my father playing sports, or being surrounded by men, and because I played a lot of sport myself, it was, a, and because of where I grew up, it was a pretty male-dominated <laughs> uh, experience, and it's just nice to think that. I can make a difference, I think, with future generations of boys here. I believe strongly in it and it lines up pretty positively with my values. So it's quite a good fit, I think. So, David, what is it that makes a difference in the lives of boys? Yeah, I had a meeting this morning where it could have gone one way or the other. And, and I was very conscious in that meeting that I could easily have made a decision that was going to negatively impact on that young man for potentially the rest of his life or we could come up with a better solution that might actually help it be a turning point and we can look after him there as well. When we've talked about this across the International Boys School Coalition for years, relationships are, are hugely important in having a significant adult or group of adults or group of friends who care about you and looking out for you makes a huge difference. And I think at school, giving them an experience that they can buy into by offering as much as possible makes a huge difference for boys. And we don't get it right with everybody, definitely not. It still upsets me when I can see we've got some disaffected 15 or 16-year-olds who I just wish we could come up with a thing that would uh, light the flame and just get them engaged and interested. And sometimes we can't do it for all of them, unfortunately. But I think ultimately they'll find the thing that's going to get them excited. And, and I hope the experience they've had here while they're here is going to stand them in good stead for when they're ready to buy into that thing that gets them up every morning. David, many people are predicting that the COVID-19 pandemic will result in, some are using the word, a total overhaul of the education system. While others have seen, you know, this time it's just a simple temporary interruption to business as usual. What do you think learning and, and schooling should look like as we grow out of the pandemic? And how do you see schools, in particular in New Zealand, making choices around the opportunity to kind of reinvent themselves or navigate this way forward? You couldn't really wish to speak to somebody in a more relevant country at the moment because we're four weeks into being back business as usual. And four weeks ago, I might have given you a different answer to the one that I may give you now. I don't think for a minute that it's the end of it necessarily as far as New Zealand's concerned as well. But for the last four weeks, we've been fully operational. We had, we've got 2,400 boys here and a couple of hundred staff. And um, we all spent ages planning for exactly what school needed to look like from an operational perspective. But once the boys were back, it was largely business as usual. But what we've done as a school um, with this event I was talking about, which may have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but We've got together six people, including the two of you, to talk about this specific question. Um, because I think unless we do stop and talk about the experience that we've had and what it might mean, we will just fall into exactly what we did previously because that's what we used to. It's our default position. Having 12 weeks, whatever it was, eight weeks away um, seems to have been not forgotten about, but as time goes on, it feels less relevant and that we are largely operating as usual. I mean, there's, there's things around technology, I think, that 
we're going to benefit from for weeks and months to come because what we went through was a it was like a turbocharged time of professional development where everybody had to become proficient and a bit of an expert in 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 remote teaching and uh, that wouldn't have been the case in february but by april it certainly was the case for everybody i mean we we were talking i was talking to our director of sport this morning because we just had our first weekend of sport and him and I watched a lot of sport over the weekend. And what we said this morning was, wasn't it nice that the crowds, there were loads of people there and it just felt like, isn't this awesome? And it really didn't matter too much what the outcomes were. It was just great to have community events going on, everybody feeling positive about it. No one was grumpy with officials or anything like that. Now we were reflecting on how long that would last. Hopefully it will, but hopefully it has reminded us that there's lots here that we mustn't take for granted and there's lots of positive things that we need to retain a healthy perspective around and remember why we do, do those things, why we do school, why we do sport at school, why we do all those other things around school. And the reasons that we would give now may not have been the reasons we would have given prior to March when it all changed. I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspectives. We've got a vice chancellor who's given his perspective um, a couple of other people here in New Zealand that have done some research into this. So hopefully we're all going to learn from each other and have a better understanding about the answer to that question. Yeah. Thanks, David. Um, what you allude to there is a, is a whole collaborative approach to professional learning and a really, really strong network. One of the things, again, that is very different about New Zealand education is the collaborative nature of schools and of school principals, uh, particularly amongst the state schools. The Association of Boys Schools New Zealand is an example of one of these professional organisations. Can you dig down into some detail what this organisation does? And in particular, what are the sorts of things that it's doing to promote professional learning and research-based educational initiatives that all schools can share in? I think it's probably about 15 years old, the group, and it was formed when a, a group of leaders of boys' schools thought that it was worth getting together occasionally to talk about how things were going. And that's gradually become a bit more formal, but relationships stay at, at the heart of that organization. We've got a group of about 50 schools. We get together as heads of those schools annually. Attendance there is, is, is really good, and that's because they get the value of us congregating for a couple of days every year, uh, not just from a um, catching up with colleagues' perspective, but talking about things that are topical and relevant. And as you say, that it is a, it's a collegial group. It's more than it is a competitive group. Um, so we gather annually as heads, we'll gather probably biannually as senior leaders, and then we've got a number of other reasons why we would get together. We should have been this September hosting a Australasian conference on sport in boys' schools. We were, we were gonna do that with Scots, the Scots College in Sydney, but obviously we've had to push that back to next year. But that's an example of hopefully something we can do more of in the future where we can get together with heads of boys' schools in Australia and New Zealand to talk about issues that are relevant to us. As far as research is concerned, we're probably into our third year of research with Circle now. Um, we've got six topics that we're going to work on over the next five years. We've just finished looking at best practice with, uh, as far as sort of teaching's concerned, a piece of work there with, with, with a, a view to establishing a, a self-appraisal, self-reflection tool for teachers in boys' schools. And we're pretty excited about that. We've done work with the University of Auckland, the University of Victoria, the New Zealand Centre of Educational Re- Research, our DPs, 
there's six or so DPs from various boys' schools around the world are looking at research specifically and what we can take from the research that we've done to help implement best practice across boys' schools nationally. So, yeah, a few things going on. It's um, much as I feel very honoured and privileged to lead this school, I, equally I feel honoured and privileged to, to be the chair of that organisation at the moment. I, it, it's thoroughly enjoyable. There's some great characters in there, very, very positive and and we get a lot of great buy-in from the schools across the country with the, the various initiatives that we're doing. Thanks for that, David. It's, it's, uh, it wasn't a question that was designed to point a spotlight on the, on the sort of work that we're doing, but, but more looking at the nature of collaboration and the deeply research-informed way in which things are going about. Sometimes I think to myself that New Zealand education is a little bit like the sort of Clark Kent of international education. There's Superman there, but it's just a little mild-mannered. And I think that notion of a civility and respect and manners is really, really important. And when I walk around New Zealand boys' schools, I see, uh, in particular, I see that sort of emphasis on manners and respect is really, really important. David, do you want to explain for us a little bit about mana and why mana is so important to New Zealand boys? To help clarify, it's, it's a Maori concept specifically, and without going into, into too much detail, it's um, the way you are viewed as far as your, simplistically, as far as your character's concerned, the way in which you're viewed by your peers and, and people in your community. And uh, somebody who had strong mana would be somebody who would be admired and looked up to and would behave with integrity. And you could list many other character traits, I'm sure. But yeah, it is... The concept is a Maori concept. It's far more complex than the way I've just explained it there. But if you've got, if you're somebody who's said to have mana, then you would be respected, looked up to, be someone who was potentially not revered, but admired and would be a role model and somebody who people would, would listen to. Yeah. What's next for you, Dave? Uh, well, in about 10 minutes, I've got my uh, staff choir rehearsal. So that's, that's on top <laughs> most immediately. I'm... Um, I'm pretty average, but it's enjoyable. Um, I mean, in the short term, I think we've got some, potentially we've got a, a period of uncertainty, <laughs> which isn't unique to me in my school at the moment, but we've got a significant population of students in our school who are from overseas. That's inevitably taken a decline this year, and, and that's in the short term a priority in terms of us trying to establish what next year is going to look like because a lot of the things that we do is affected uh, by the international students that we have in our school. So, we, yeah, trying to get some certainty and stability is pretty important at the moment. In the medium term, we've got a few initiatives that, that I want to get ready for, for next year, the, the teacher training model, a business school. We've got some more stuff to do with uh, professional development that we want to do. The Boys Skills Association, we've got some ambitious plans there as well. And um, we've got this conference coming up in a couple of weeks that you're part of that we're excited about. And, and I also look forward to whatever happens with the IBSC as well, because I think we're, we've potentially got a period of uncertainty there as well. But lots to be, still lots to be excited about. And um, I'm very grateful for the job that I do and that I'm given this opportunity. And so, yeah, that's probably what's next. David, it's been a delight to, to be with you this morning. And I just want to say thank you very much for your time and energy uh, with, with our conversation today, but also for your commitment to uh, boys' education in, in New Zealand. It is clear to me that character relationships 
uh, are at the core of, of really good schools. And that schools are what we've learnt post this pandemic, of course, is that social learning is the reason why schools truly exist. And knowledge can be gained in, in so many different ways now, anytime, anywhere. But in the absence of strong community and a, and a commitment to the formation of relationships that are meaningful, that help young men in your context particularly feel loved, valued and known, we don't have a lot if we don't have the those things. And so I just want to say thank you very much for the way in which you continue to lead uh, your community, but also from the broader conversation that we've had today, and that is education in a more community orientated focus uh, and a global focus, because we're so much better together. And so I really appreciate your time today. Phil. Thanks very much, Adriano. David, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us talking things through. We look forward to the opportunity to keep doing our thing with and for you and the team that you support. It's, uh, it's great to have the opportunity to showcase so much of the good stuff that's going on in New Zealand to colleagues around the world. And um, it's just good to have a chat. No, thank you. And well done, both of you. I think I've, I've said this to you previously, but I think your timing around this series of podcasts is impeccable. And it's, I hope people take the time to listen to some of these conversations. And I'm, I'm just absolutely delighted that you're going to be part of this piece of work we're doing in two or three weeks' time. More so now than ever, I think, stopping and talking about why we're doing school and what we should be doing feels like uh, probably the biggest priority at the moment. So um, great work. Keep it going. Well done, both of you. I look forward to seeing you both in person at some point. Hopefully that trans-Tasman bubble will open up soon. I'm really looking forward to getting over to Australia as soon as possible. And it'll be nice for normality to start resuming in both of our countries. Thanks, David. And um, and maybe Carlton will have started winning by then, Adriano. Go on, you Phil. I hope you have a lovely day as well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.